0: by Good recovery by Andrew Let's get rogue.
1: Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is the Basketball Podcast. Myself and Mike procopio at Hoop Consultants. What a week it's been in basketball, Pro. We got a, a run sheet probably as long as your uh, toilet paper rolls, Pro.
2: Hey, my uh, my my hot dog order of Portillo's. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Let's uh,
1: all the add-ons and condiments. Without yeah, it's been a busy, busy without week. Without
2: question, no. It's a, uh, I can't wait to get into it. I can't wait to you tell me the stories about that night after uh, that that night after the championship. What you guys got into or got out of? What was? What, oh,
1: pretty tame. I'm thirty eight, bro. So th- <laughs> oh, how old am I? Yeah, I'm thirty eight, turning thirty nine. So. Those days are gone, uh, you know, you have one too, one too many beers um, and then it, it messes your whole week up once you start hitting your 40s, as you would know, yeah. when, you, when you're 20, it's only a, a bad day when you're in your 40s, it's a bad well, week. congrats so on the championship, man. I'll try to keep it pretty tame. Yeah, thank you, we'll get into that later, it's, yeah, been a huge week for the organization, for the league, for, for everyone involved, which we'll touch on, but uh, we'll get rolling with the NBA stuff and then get into our Australian stuff and, and, and more, a lot going on in Australia in the world of basketball, but... Let's get into our Team of the Weeks uh, this week. I'm going to let you go first, Pro. Who do you have? Who's in form for you this week?
2: Bogues, I'm going to go with the New York Knicks. Uh, winners of three straight. You know, they're Thibodeau's got those guys going. They're dealing with, you know, they've dealt with some adversity as of late with some injuries and things. But I think the New York Knicks are my team for this week. They're, hey, look, man, they're playing hard. You know, Brunson and, you know, Randall and, you know, I just, I, I, they're hard nosed guys. They're old school, you know. They, they play with some size. They, they, you know, they get attitude with them. Eh, it's good. They won three straight. You know, they had some impressive victories. I think that they're a good team. Um As far as like who they beat in the last three, just let me get this. So, um, uh, at LA,
1: Denver, Portland, yeah, at LA yeah.
2: versus Port- Denver at home and at Portland you know so yeah three in a row I mean they they lost three before that but they won three in a row uh, you know three and you row this week I think they're they're playing well they play hard man they're a hard out you know and they got their role players stepping up for them they got Brunson you know quickly Robinson's playing well so yeah I, I go with them folks what, what are you thinking about the Knicks these days
1: yeah I had them a couple of weeks ago if you remember correctly they they went on that nine game win streak then lost three so, so essentially they're 12 and three in their last 15 which is pretty impressive um and that East is just tough. The East is that top five in the East. <laughs> they're twelve and three in their last fifteen, and they really haven't moved much. When you look at the table, which is kind of crazy, yeah. right? Like you know, if, if that was a, if you go on a on that kind uh, of streak yeah. in the West, you're probably you nipping you nipping at one, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And New York's forty two and thirty, and they're still two and a half games behind Cleveland in four, which is kind of amazing. So it just speaks to how deep the top of the Eastern Conference is this season, and I think. You know, probably more competitive conference than the West. Most people would argue when you look at records, but yeah, the Knicks have been great. Um, this is kind of what everyone—this is what everyone kind of expected when when Thibs took over, right? Like just the consistency. They don't ever beat themselves. At least this season they haven't. Uh, maybe the Dallas game they did, but when Luca hit that that miracle shot off the free throw. But generally, Thibs teams don't beat themselves, and that was something that they struggled with um, the first year or two under Thibs, which wasn't something that you could put on Thibs historically, right? But um, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been huge on them. I think they're, they're playing really good basketball. They found some gems. Josh Hart, like I said, two weeks ago, huge pickup for them. It seems like they're playing with energy and a bit of a burst. And they have that confidence. I think Julius Randle's come back after a, a really good year a couple of years ago. then had a subpar year last season, according to his standards, has brought it back again, hit some game winners for him, And they, they seem to have a bit of that dog mentality uh, where they're, they're, they're willing to, to stand there and jab and punch with you and that's probably something the Knicks haven't had for 20 odd years they had, they had the, you know those group of guys when I was playing that were all you know supposed to be half gangster half NBA player that, that's not toughness to me um, they had those guys in the in the mid 2000s under Isaiah Thomas but no wins but this group actually seems like a a dog eat dog kind of uh, New York Knicks team, which is which has been good. Yeah, to see. they've
2: got talent, and this is one of the only situations where coaching actually makes a huge difference. Mostly, I don't care who your coach is. If you don't have talent, you're not going to win. Most of these guys need a lot of talent to be you know to be really good coaching wise, record wise. I think Tibbs really gives them. You know, he's the closest thing that basketball, in my opinion, has to Bill Belichick. Grumpy, prepared watches 20 hours of film, all engaged in it. And I've known I've known him for a while, and he's a hell of a coach. Now he wears you thin with, you know, lacing up and taping up for every practice, going hard, you know, really holds you accountable on the defensive end. Guy never fucking smiles, you know, and he's all into it. And, look, they're playing hard. I think Jalen Brunson's the perfect guy to lead that team because he's all about toughness. And got a chip on his shoulder. Randall's got a chip on his shoulder. You know, they got all these guys spread out. The Josh Hart thing saved their season. Probably saved Tibbs' job, to be honest with you. And it's unbelievable that a guy who averages 9-8 uh, or 10-8 and eight could really do that to you. But I think the impact of having a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands, plays hard defensively, brings it... Um, I think it's been great and it's good to see and it's unbelievable like you said they go 12 and 3 in the east of all places and not make a big jump in the standings but you know it's good to see them in the playoffs it's always good you know when the Knicks are in some type of contention for playoffs you know you you know it's big market you like to see it and I think I think this is a good group it's a fun group to watch.
1: Sure is Uh, we'll see how they go in the playoffs it's going to be tight Um, you know as of now I think it's a coin flip between them and Cleveland in a playoff series. So, but if they if they happen to fall to that sixth, which I doubt because they're two and a half ahead of that, then, then then it's a different story. I think they're out in the first round because they're going to get Boston, Philly, or, or Milwaukee. All right, um, uh, Philadelphia they probably deserved it last week as well. Um, but their winners eight straight. they they're they're playing very good basketball right now. Uh, James Harden still I feel like he's coasting still to an extent in a good way, mm-hmm. leading the league in assists. But just just playing good basketball, kind of conserving energy to an extent, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but you look at, you know, their last three: Indiana, Charlotte, and Cleveland. They beat Washington and Portland before that. Uh, a couple of one point games in there, so a bit of luck has bounced their way. Walking Indiana, and Minnesota, uh, Portland in that uh, eight game win streak. And B's been a monster. He's obviously ran for the MVP. We know that he's, you know, talked about it and, and he's in contention. Harden's playing solid. Uh, their role players have been good. I still don't think they have enough to beat um, Milwaukee or Boston if both fully healthy or all fully healthy. I think they're still you know PJ Tucker is great for him defensively, but he's almost a liability at the other end. The X factor for them, Maxie's a big X factor, but I think Tobias Harris is the X factor for them in a playoff series sure. because he's going to be the guy that they dare to make shots when when Harden and, and Embiid have it going in a playoff series. He's going to be that third that third wheel that's going to have to be very productive for him. So. I like what they what they've done this season. I had them picked as kind of a smoky at the start of the season for a, a long odds championship uh, favorite. Um, I still I still think that they have got a chance. You know they they can take Boston Milwaukee to six seven, but I think over the course of a of a, a series, it will be a tough beat. And, and Embiid historically has not been season like numbers in the playoffs. That's just. He just hasn't performed well in playoff series, and that's historically been his thing in, in playoffs. I'm not saying he goes from he goes to ten points a game, he, he, but he goes from his numbers in the regular season, which this season's thirty plus points a game odd. You know his field goal percentages go significantly down, his assists go down, and he's going to need to have a regular season type individual performance every night for them in the playoff series for them to win. They can count on Harden a little bit of Maxi, but Embiid's the guy. So they're playing good basketball. It'll be interesting to see how they go. Uh, you know, in another month's time.
2: Yeah, Bogues, I mean, they're just going to have to ugly it up in the playoffs. I mean, shit, they've been ugly in the playoffs, to be honest, already, but they have to be an ugly, you know, two-man game between Harden and Embiid. They have to be great, and everyone else has to sort of, Take you know, just make shots from the outside, and then obviously guard people. I think it's good for Harden to sort of take it easy a little bit and coast, and and allow Maxi and Harris to really do well. I mean, Tucker really isn't that guy, so obviously, but you know, Tobias and Tyrese Maxi is you know as far as guys who can score it. You know, they could take a, lo- a little bit of pressure and a little bit of mileage off of him, you know, and, and he doesn't have to go as hard like that. You, like you said, they're going to be, you know, really keying in in the playoffs on Harden and Bede, Try to stop those two guys the best they can. Guys like Harris and Maxi are really going to have to step up. And like you said, Harden, you know, you know, in the in the past, really hasn't had great playoff series in a long time. He's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to do that. But. I think the pressure is going to be on Harris and Maxi, and then guys like Georges Yang, Shake Milton, De- you know, D'Anthony De- Melton. They're going to really have to step their games up as far as shot makers and e- efficient players, especially if there's foul trouble and they got to play extended minutes in the playoffs. But, um, yeah, they've been playing well. Eight in a row, that's, that's, that's nothing to shake a stick at, man. That's pretty tough. So, yeah, good for them.
1: Yeah, and it's going to come down to the benches for them. I think Milwaukee and Boston, their benches are, are elite, mm-hmm. um, some real good bench players, and I, I just don't think Philly has that depth over the course of a series. If some injuries or luck come their way, maybe, but we um, will be interesting to watch. As I said earlier, um, my week of the week is the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. They they just look bad, man. I mean, I've, I've, I follow them, obviously, because I've got a lot of – Ex-teammates on there, and a special plays in my heart when in championship there and whatnot. Don't need to bore everyone with that story again, but they just don't look good. they they just look like, you know, I don't know. They look like they're coasting through to stay healthy for the playoffs, but they might be in a late playing game if they're not careful. The way they're playing, right? It's it just has not looked good. It's clunky, and it starts at the defensive end. Now, Wiggins being out. <clears throat> Is a huge out for them. I think we realize even more now how much of a big out it is because he's probably their best lockdown defender mm-hmm. um, on that team. As far as perimeter play, Draymond's a fantastic team defender. But as far as one on one, the three point line, guard and ball handlers and whatnot, he's he's probably their best defender. Andre Iguodala formerly had that, but age is caught up to him. Uh, they lost three straight last week, and they got my, my week of the, my week of the week. Uh, to the Lakers, OKC, and Memphis. They then won two big games against Milwaukee. OK, Giannis was out. Uh, They beat Phoenix, which was a pretty big win for them, and they lose to the Clippers, Atlanta, and Memphis. Probably, you know, middle-tier teams in Atlanta. All three of them are real middle-tier teams. Memphis, I I count as a middle-tier team because Morant's out and the way they've played hasn't been great, but just not good, bro. I don't know if you've seen many of their games. You look at their last three games for um, points given up, 134 to the Clippers. This is all regulation too. 127 to Atlanta and 133 for Memphis. Now, we know Golden State likes to play a high tempo, but they've prided themselves on being a high-tempo team that actually will get down in the stance and guard you historically, right? That, that's what made them not the Phoenix Suns. When, they were, when the Warriors, when I was there, when we were building up into that run-and-gun team, what set us apart was we're still going to guard you. Like we're not going to play the Steve Nash Phoenix Sun style where we don't care if you get a quick two. No, we're going to stop you from scoring and we're going to come back and and put a three in your eye with Steph or clay. That's gone. It looks like it's gone right now and and they need to find it quickly. And I just don't know their the depth of their roster probably doesn't help them to find that this late in the season. And you know, people will say, oh, well in the playoffs, they will turn it on, but something different about this season. You can talk about the punch with dream on a pool. You can talk about team chemistry, but to me that that defense of theirs you know it's, it's it's bottom bottom of the league or bottom bottom 10 of the league for a team that's supposed to be competing for a backup a back-to-back championship isn't good enough bro
2: yeah bogues i mean they they're really you know they're really struggling right now with, with you know just being consistent and the wiggins thing really hurts and you know you don't know when you're going to have him back and it, it's it's you know they were already sort of handcuffed as as it was during the season of not really playing well especially on the road you know we all know that but now it just it does looks different it looks weird it looks out of sync um second unit guys are just okay you know and no one's really going to step up and i think it's going to be a problem and and i think that you know i don't i don't know maybe maybe we're sitting here in the playoffs and they they turn it on but i'll tell you what like That, that philosophy as it ages, you know, as we get year in and year out, I think that just winning on, you know, winning on just name and recognition, that's sort of, I think that's sort of gone. You can't just show up and win, especially in the playoffs, especially, you know, with these teams and the, you know, the West is still pretty good and they really haven't turned it on where like, they've been great much this season they're always just this up and down especially the inability to win on the road and you know I don't know you know yeah they're not getting enough out of Kaminga um you know Clay's actually played at a really high level at times you know so he's coming around from his injury but losing Wiggins is just I, I just think I don't think they could win a series without him and you know who knows when he's coming back. I just think that that's going to be tough. I had them as my team of the week as well, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I, I want to see it because look, they're a fun team, especially when they got it rolling. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but like, you know, they're a fun ass team to watch and ball moves, shooting threes, running split action, guarding people, switching, all that. But like, no Gary Payton, no Wiggins, Kaminga's inconsistent. You know, it just—I don't know where it's going to come from. You know, I just don't know how they're going to really persevere going forward. Um, you know, it, you you rearrange your—you know—these these dynasty teams. Like they were great because they could rearrange guys, they could package trades and rearrange the bench. It just seems like they're running out of moves now. You know, and. I'm not a doom and gloom guy, but this is going. This is sort of turning a corner where it's not looking great for them.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And they need to figure it out quickly. They don't have much time left. Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, the team, but everyone thinks that they can, not everyone, but people think, oh, they'll, they'll switch it on in the playoffs. And I'm kind of, sometimes you do think that when you see the game against Milwaukee or Phoenix, but just over the course of the regular season, their consistency just hasn't been there. They will flick a switch in the playoffs. I just don't think it's going to be enough. And I think that Wiggins out, is uh, the alarming one for me that just shows defensively that it's not good. We did that stat. I did that stat earlier in the season where we spoke about their starting five defensively was top five in the league, mm-hmm. and their, anyone else after their starting five was 30th in the league in defensive plus minus, right? So mm-hmm. you take one of those out of the starting lineup in Wiggins, now you got to bring in one of those who was bottom 30, bang, like that. They, they, all of a sudden, your top five defense goes to maybe 10, then your bench comes on and it's dead last. So they have some things to figure out. We won't get into the Wigan stuff too much. There's been numerous rumors swirling. I believe a lot of false. There's all kinds of stuff. For those not familiar, he's out due to family reasons. So people are asking, well, how long can you be out due to family reasons? You eventually have to come back. There's rumors that he won't be back this season. Um, so we wish him well. No one knows what he's going through. could be... You know, I'm not going to speculate. It could be anything. It could be, you know, sickness. It could be a family member that's not well. Who knows? So I think people need to give him his respect. Yes, uh, there is an argument to if you're working a regular job, how long can you take off with this? I totally hear people, but unfortunately, the league policy allows this. Um, and especially with the health, the, the the push of mental health, you don't want to force guys back too soon with these things. So we wish him all the best, pro, and hopefully he's back on the court sooner rather than later. And I think we. All can agree to stop with the 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 rumors that can be that are pretty glaring that are out there online, pro. Mm-hmm. Um, until until something concrete comes out from the Warriors or Wiggins, I think people should just give him his respect and let him be and and move on with it. Um, John ja Morant, pro, he's entered counseling a counseling program in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, so he's, he's they've cut out and, and at least been somewhat proactive. And there's been no announcement from the league that I've found, pro. I'm not sure if you've seen it of how long the suspension is. Yeah, they, I think they did. It's uh, in eight
2: games and? He already served five. Yeah, I I, I thought I read that a couple of days ago. I think Woj put it out Um, that it was like eight games, but because he was already out for five, that he's only out for an additional three. That's what I I thought I read for sure.
1: Yeah, you're right. Suspended for eight games by NBA for conduct detrimental to the league. So pretty lenient uh, suspension as we've discussed, but the fact that I guess he's been proactive, um, he's he's been a record saying he's messed up and he's going to, try to better better himself. Um I can respect that. Everyone makes mistakes. We have to, you know, allow him a chance to go and go and get the help and, and come yeah, back. Now it, if he comes back games. and this happens months later or a year later, then, you know, he deserves everything that's coming to him. But um it just uh, Yeah. So it's uh, the fact that this has been something that's happened over the course of two or three months he had three or four indiscretions with guns and just being being silly. You hope he figures it out. But but Memphis Pro have I've uh, put in a rule now that I always laugh when I read this in the media. Memphis are no longer staying in cities overnight when they go on the road. <laughs> that's that's their fix. As if you can't be an idiot when you're at home in your own house in Memphis. But that's the that's what they're trying to prevent any more stuff happening on the road. For those not familiar, every team does it differently. Some teams stay overnight, some teams fly the night right after the game. There's theories as to why some teams do it. Some teams with known partiers, will, coaches will purposely leave the night off. So you're playing the Knicks. They don't want guys staying in New York overnight. They'll go to the next city, which is sometimes Detroit, and guys are fuming. Some teams that know they don't have a lot of partiers and wild guys, it's recommended to stay the night and get your good night's sleep and fly in the morning. You know The sleep specialists all, all advise that. So every team does it differently, but Memphis trying to fix this by not staying overnight isn't going to accomplish a lot. you got to really uh, make sure that – you guys are tucked in a bed. If you want to send a trainer out and actually have them tucked in, that's probably a good fix. But uh, I found that pretty comical, pro.
2: Yeah, it's usually the NBA MO bogues. Like, they just come up with this thing that, like, like high school teams do. You know, instead of really pinpointing the problem, dealing with the problem, um, they just try to put a band aid on it. Like, who cares? Like you said, they could get in any type of trouble in any type of city, home, on the road. They can get in trouble. What about the night before the game? Like when you when you fly in the night before? Like exactly. So what? Like I don't go I don't go to a strip club after the game. I go the night before. I mean, who who cares? And look, uh, you know the league the league tries to educate players, but you know a the reprimands ain't ain't big enough. They're not strong enough. The fines aren't big enough. The suspensions aren't big enough. You, I, I, like I said in the last few weeks. Uh, you're just trying to protect the brand, the shield of the team, of the league, you know, and no player, very few players are above that in the history of the league. And these players don't understand how good they have it. And then when they're out, they're out. Look, John Morant's very far from getting out of this league. You know, this, this is not looking good for him in the short term, but they're going to, he's going to play at some point. And not that people are going to forget about it, but he's going to be able to do whatever he wants as far as on the court, they're not gonna, you know, God, you know, God forbid if Xavier Tillman did this or Kenneth Lofton Jr. or Zaire Williams, like they'd be out for four years. But like Jean <laughs> Morant, they're gonna be he's gonna be fine. Yeah. But look, it is what it is. Like you said, young guy young that's why people are young and dumb. That he'll fit, you know, hopefully he's learned a little bit from it. I don't think he has to do the whole counseling thing. I believe that if he didn't get caught he would have been doing this 20 more times. He would have spent, him, you know, 300,000 in a strip club. Like I think he's taken this proactive approach because he got caught. So it's not like he finally figured out he's got a problem, you know, it that that's just how it is. The problem is John Morant could afford to throw 50,000 in a strip club. The problem is these players who don't make this money who do that and they end up broke a month and a half, six months, eighteen months, two years after they stop playing. That those are the guys you gotta really worry about. John Morant, like I said, is gonna make close to a billion dollars when it's all said and done if he's healthy. So I'm glad he you know, look, I'm glad he got caught. I wish he got I wish he got suspended longer. I wish it was a bigger hit so he could really figure it out. Hopefully he really figures it out and this is not really much of a problem going forward. I don't care about the strip club thing. Those guys are gonna do that. And it's not you know it doesn't matter what type of player you are most likely 90% of them are going to hit strip clubs and party and doing all that it's the pointing you know raise, you know hanging out with people who have guns that are you know pointing laser pointers at uh, opponent opposing teams that is no bueno and that's gonna that's gonna lead you into a, a world of hurt. I mean, look at like what happened. You know, look up what happened with the Indiana Pacers in like in the early nineties or uh, early two thousands, late nineties, with all that gun violence they had. Guys getting you know in the you know shoot shooting up things and you know guns going off and stuff like that. Jamal Tinsley, you know Stephen Jackson and those guys. You know it, it really.
1: You see Steven Jackson this week talking talking up like, oh man, what these young guys do these days is nothing. Yeah, real, real G's. Yeah. you're just like that's half the that's real. half the problem there, and it's the teammate of mine, but that's half the problem there. You you're glorifying this shit like you're you know you're a gangster like. It just, it boggles my mind.
2: Yeah. So look, you know, I know we got a million things to go, do. I'm not going to spend much more time on it. I'm just saying, I'm glad this happened. I wish it was longer. I hope, you know, with suspension and fine, because I really want it to sting. So going forward, like, look, do the strip club thing. You're not going to be a saint. All right. Do the strip club thing. Party. That's fine. But keep it in moderation. You know, know, but the gun thing, that's, there's no reason for that. That's why people, you know, have two or three security guards with them if they need to. Like, you could hire private security. You don't need all that. But going forward, look, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad he got caught. I'm glad no one got really that hurt except a 17-year-old kid that got his head kicked in at his house over a bad foul call. I'm glad that, um, you know, I'm glad everything else is fine. No one got really seriously hurt. And going forward, hopefully he just sort of keeps it in moderation. And no one's asking him to be a saint. You know, do what you do. You're a young kid. You're going to explore, but just sort of keep it to a minimum, man.
1: Mm -hmm. I think we all agree we all made mistakes when we are young. Let's just hope he learns from this, and this is the last time we have to speak about him off the court because he's a bona fide superstar, and he's going to be a superstar for a long time in the league. So, Steph Curry, I like this. It's just a quick tidbit. Don't have to get into us too much, but talking shit to CP3, the cameras caught him after uh, him and Steph went at it, caught Steph saying, it ain't 2014 anymore. Uh, they asked CP3 after the game about it. CP3 was doing his standard acting dumb. I don't know, it was 10 years ago. I'll explain it to everyone out there what he meant by that. Chris Paul used to try to or did at times bully Steph uh, early in his career. Chris was a very smart, knew the nuances of the game, whether to get away with a grab or a foul. He was more physical than Steph. Steph was notably, uh, notably very skinny back then. Uh, had some injury history, and and CP3 used to beat up on him. He used to get physical with him. Uh, there were the, also the commercials, State Farm commercials, where Steph was his little brother in the in the uh, in the show, or his nephew or whatever it was. Big dog, small dog. That's why Steph said that, because um, Steph now his body is in elite shape. He's very very strong for for his size now. Hasn't had a lot of injuries. Really built up some some base in his body. And I think CP was trying to be physical with him that night, and, and Steph shrugged him off like he wasn't there, and put the ball in the hole, and talked some shit back. That is the story. If you you know people wondering where this all came from, that is a story, and and Steph knows it. You know Steph knows that as soon as Steph started having that number over over CP three, guess who, guess who didn't get the call back to being the State Farm some commercials anymore, bro? Uh, um, <laughs> <Shocker.
2: laughs> it's funny how that
1: works. But just Shocker. for everyone out there, a little bit of inside knowledge.
2: Yeah, Bogues, that's how it happens. You know, look, it all happens. Like, young players, they get bullied by older vets that have more developed bodies, just sort of know all the little nuances until, you know, you just got to be patient with it. And within a couple years, two or three years, I mean, it's almost impossible unless your strength coach is completely moronic, you know, which maybe a couple are, but like, you're going to build a body, you're going to build confidence, you're going to be good, you're going to take those early hits. And then you'll be the guy bullying. And that's what Steph did. And, you know, it's just one of those things, man. Like, you know, CP does it to everybody. You know, and, you know, it's good It's good to see. That's sort of like I, – I like to see that. It's not cheap shotting physically. It's not putting somebody in the hospital. It's it's not Twitter battles. It's like sometimes talking trash is fine. I'm good with it. You know, it, it's sort of banter during a game. And, uh yeah, like, look, all players go through it. They get bullied a little bit, and then they grow up and they go through wars, and they've, they, they, you know, they sort of develop their game, they develop their body, and now they're doing the punishing. And fucking Steph's been terrorizing the league for about a year, uh, for about a decade now. So, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see.
1: I love it, and Steph is quiet for the most part, so and I agree with you. This is the kind of shit talking you want to see. That's what the fans want to see builds up some a little bit of animosity. It's kind of, you know, akin to Jordan going through the Pistons, right? And that whole thing, how the Pistons walked off the floor and didn't shake hands and all that kind of shit. I like that. That's that's a respectable, healthy, you know, big brother, little brother type bashing. And um you like that in sports. You want that. That's And then the little brother grows up, and now he's like, okay, you can't push me around anymore, and, and that's what this was. And I, I liked it. I just find, found it funny that CP3, he knew exactly what he was talking about, just tried to play it dumb with the media, and thought that I would give some people some inside knowledge there. But that was good to see. Dame Lillard over the week was um, on a podcast and mentioned, just just discussed the ring culture. Um, he said that he doesn't enjoy what the NBA is becoming in reference to the ring culture. Albeit he's stuck in a place that he's never going to get a ring, bro. So there is a bit of <laughs> there's a bit of bias there. But I would agree with him. I, I, I think what we see today is predicated on all these people back in the day trying to slander superstars into saying, "Oh yeah, he averaged thirty, but he doesn't have a ring." So then what happens? You have your Kevin Durant of the world who say, "You know what? I'm going to join a team that I never would have joined ten years ago, and I'm going to get my ring." And then I'm going to tick that box and flip the bird of the world and say, what else do you have on me? So society and NBA culture has somewhat dictated these terms that players have then got smart. And what do we hear today, pro? Oh, all these super teams, is not not good for the league. Well, you are the same talkback radio hosts and ESPN analysts that were pushing this shit for so long, whether you knew it or not, that it has become ring culture. And I, I don't like it. I think you need to respect players that are like a Dame Lillard. Generational talent. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Respect their talent, and they're just on a team that's in a small market that can't get the the big names. But they're still competitive enough. They're always kind of okay enough. They're never going to really be a championship team. They need a perfect run, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there is a difference, pro, between that and being on a, on a shitty team for ten years of your career and just stat padding and never winning. Now, that's not that's not dangerous. Conference my, final. I've been to a conference final. Of competitive <laughs> years. CJ, they have gone to. Second round of the playoffs, they've yeah, conference final one year. So so they've, they've they've been good and they've been close, but there are there are players on some teams that will just put up massive numbers and be happy in a small market on a shitty team that never makes the playoffs. Okay, that those guys fair enough. They shouldn't be spoken about in the superstar echelon. But there's plenty of players in the NBA that put up had great careers that get. Sl- I mean, Charles Barkley's one of them. You know, he 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 cops it more than anyone. He gives back as much as he takes, but. The slide, the slide on him is, you know, where's your ring? It's like, well, you're still a fantastic player. They just didn't have enough. The Bulls were, you know, a three-headed monster at that point that were, were tough for anyone to beat. But um, I'm I'm in agreement with Lillard. I don't think it's good, the ring culture. and I think it's slowly starting to turn a little bit just because people have realized, like, if we keep preaching this ring culture, you're going to have four teams... You know that have a genuine shot to win it every season. That three superstars teamed up, and, and then you're gonna have the rest of the league who are happy with a first round playoff berth, which is not a sustainable league, in my opinion. Pro, I don't know what your thoughts are,
2: folks. I, I think, first of all, I think Dame Lillard, in take away Kevin Durant, like playing on all the different teams and stuff like that. Like, I think those two guys are great spokesmen for the league as far as like uh, it, it, like just being. Real, I think those guys are real guys. Dave Miller is one of the most real NBA superstars you're ever going to see. He's not, he is Hollywood, but he's not Hollywood. You know, he's got, you know, stardom. He's a a superstar in the league. Like you said, Hall of Famer. And 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 I agree, the whole ring chasing thing. But the thing is, if you try to, you're going to drive yourself nuts if you're trying to make everybody happy, meaning numbers versus rings versus this versus that. Like, you can't try to please everybody in this whole thing. At the end of the day, he's going to retire. He's going to be done playing. He's going to be sitting back. And he's going to be okay with, like, competing with what he did in in the amount of time that he was relevant in basketball. And if he won a championship, if he did, I don't think you should be – I really don't think you should be judged on the championship thing. I think that if you want to be in the top five conversation, that's where more the ring thing comes in. I don't think that, like, I don't think that anyone's ever a lesser player if they didn't win a championship. And I think you just have to be okay with it. You have to compete in the time you're relevant and you're healthy, and you could really, you know, have that sort of that probably the high side of your career where you could really try to carry a team. You're, you're never better in your career, that five or six year period. some Sometimes is 10 where you could really carry a team. And I think that Dame Lillard has done as much as you can do a very Clyde Drexler-ish in the nineties, except Clyde went to a final, um, you know, he went to a, an NBA final where, where Dame didn't. But I think that Dame's done everything he's could. He's, you know he competed he had different rosters he different coaches and he does it the right way and like i think that when his time it's his time to go i think that he could sit back and be okay with how he approached the game how he approached being a professional how he competed and how he represented the league the team himself and his family the best he can and if he wins a championship, if he doesn't, it is what it is. And I think that people just try, the, especially these players that are really sensitive today, they try to make everybody happy, They try to make the, the fans happy, the twi- to the Twitter trolls happy, the media happy, you know all this. First of all, the NBA Hall of Fame, you could be nine and nine these days and get in the fucking thing. So a championship or no championship it does, it's not going to affect that. But I, you know, I think that too many p- people really put too much of an emphasis. I think if you compete and you do it the right way and you give everything that you can and you put a city on your back, you've, you're fine. Now, if you go 15 years and never make the playoffs or never win a playoff series, then I think we got to talk about where you stand in the league. But guys like Dominique Wilkins, guys like Charles Barkley, guys like Karl Malone, they put it all out there. And they never won a championship. They were really close at times. But what are you going to do? They didn't win a championship. At the end of the day, you should be 45 years old, be able to have as much money for nine generations, happy with yourself, look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? I did the best I can to compete. I did the best I could in the community. I did everything I could. It is what it is. I won a championship. I didn't win a championship. Be okay with it. Charles barkley has got, like, nine digits in his bank account. I don't think he gives a fuck, to be honest with you. It might bother him a little bit, but you got to move on because in the end, Bogues, nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck. Like, who cares? If you win a championship, you don't win a championship. That's all I got to say on that.
1: Agree. Agree. But uh, let's celebrate great players on teams that don't win chips. That's all. I think Dane's point was, and it'll you know it'll stop people swinging to these super teams. All right, Michael Jordan is selling up his stake in the Charlotte Hornets Pro. Um, now, reportedly, not selling up all of it. I think moving from the majority, he's going to keep a minority. Uh, there's a lot of pe- a lot of different reasons why people, a lot of different reasons being put out as spec- speculated. Uh, I'll give you a point of view from from myself being an owner. I think he just doesn't doesn't want to spend that amount of time. When you're the majority owner of a team, I can see it with the Sydney Kings and and what Paul Smith has to go through. You know, it's a lot of time. A lot of time. You're dealing with corporates, with sponsors, with players, with coaches, with GMs, with this, with that. And, you know, not to say MJ's doing the you know, strategizing about ticket sales, he'd have people doing it, but he's he's still they report to him at the end of the day, right? So it takes a lot of time, and he probably just thought, you know what? Like, I don't need the money, I don't need all this, I don't enjoy it right now. I'd love to still be involved in a minority capacity, and that would be my my reasoning why I think he's getting out. Um, it makes total sense. The guy doesn't need to be there, and I think he wants to still be involved in the game in some capacity, and I think the minority ownership gives that to him, bro. I, I don't know if you've heard anything different, but that's kind of what I. I gather as to his reasons.
2: Well, cause I think he just wants to enjoy his life. You know, it's not look and I don't think it's about quitting or or, or doing any of that, but like, I think, look, he's been there for a long time and, and he hasn't had much success. And I think he's just tired of it. And plus, you know, look, he wants to golf. He wants to enjoy life. He wants to do what he does. Like, and I think he's put a, like you said, he puts a lot of time in, Um he's there at most of the home games, he's he's involved and it's just it's not working, it's probably not fun. And you know, it's probably not as fun as it was. And look, you gotta move on and look for what he bought it for. I forgot what he bought it for. Um if I'm not mistaken, 235 million or something like that. And I bet he could probably sell it for two plus billion and that in that one and a half to two billion dollars. I bet. So Look, the investment, whatever his share is, it's gonna be good, and he'll be fine. But I just think that, look, it, it had, you know, it's hard. It's hard being a small market owner, and you know, it's hard in free agency. Um, he had a couple of years where they were okay, but they just couldn't sustain it, and it's just a really difficult thing and like you said you at that age i think your time's most valuable commodity you have with yourself your family you want to be happy who wants to be getting their fucking brains beat in on 30 win seasons and 28 win seasons you know what i'm saying like you like dude the guy's got like one of the six <laughs> houses in <laughs> exactly apart. you know it like what yeah. like you ever see you know you saw the last dance you, you see what he's looking out at in this fucking back porch he's looking out in the fucking ocean like why the fuck spend your time in Charlotte, fucking getting your brains beat in? You could be down in fucking, you know, Florida doing stuff and being happy and doing your thing. And look, he's a he's an ambassador to the game. Um, you know, I, I know we're gonna get into some things, but the guy's the best. Like he, you know, he's humble. He's a professional. He's humble with you know with his whole with whole his whole stake in the game. And look, the ownership thing thing didn't go great, but. It is what it is. Just move on and, you know, he put put a few bucks in his pocket and he could, you know, sail out into the sunset.
1: Yep, exactly that. And probably just wants to free some time up at the end of the day. Um, So you can't blame him for that. And he'll still be involved in some capacity. It'd be interesting to see who purchases that team, hopefully someone local so um, they can run it the way they see fit. And speaking of MJ, I caught up with some some clips which I thought were very, very good. Two different ones. One from Jordan a number of years ago. Um, And these are, these are conversations regarding the goat or the best, the greatest of all time. And we're about these discussions and we're probably both on the same page that the game changes and progresses in different ways. It's hard to compare the fifties with the seventies and the two thousands with the 2020s and the th- things, things change. And um, I just want to play two clips real quick of, of MJ kind of relaying his thoughts on the goat debate. So Here that is. First
0: of all, you're, you're never going to say who's the greatest of all time to me. And I think that's, that's more for PR and more for selling stores and, and getting hype. Jack and, and Tiger never played against each other. They never played in the same tournament. They never played with the same equipment. They never played with the same, you know, length of golf course. I never played against Will Changman. I never played against, you know, Jerry West. To now say that, you know, one's greater than the other is being a little bit unfair. I think when you can see the similarities and you understand this is one way you can judge the two. How much impact? Did each change or evolve the game. You know, that's how people are judging certain things. I won six championships. Bill Russell won 11. Does that make Bill Russell better than me and make me better than him? No, because we play at different eras. So when you try to equate who's the greatest of all time, it's an unfair parallel. It's an unfair choice.
1: And that clip was regarding the GOAT debate after MJ had won or being part of the Bulls team that won 70 games. So right in the moment, he could have been, you could have argued that he could have said, yeah, I think I'm up there with my record. It's probably something we'd see new age players say. And here's one other clip of more recently and post-retirement of Jordan on his thoughts on the GOAT debate. Do you think that
2: this accomplishment, combined with all your others, vaulted you over the Johnsons and Byrds and, and Russells and Chamberlains? And,
0: and, you know? No. Because I, I, it's... I think that's something that I I really can't say can be established each one of us playing our different eras with different teams with different levels of success and to compare all of them and say one's better than the next it's an unfair justice to to the art or to the artists you know being that magic Johnson will Chamberlain all the guys before me were were the artists of, of this game of basketball and we've all learned from them and we've in, improve the, the the picture to a certain extent and to say that one improvement is better than all of it it's an unfair uh assessment
1: yeah it's enough said bro i think the the goat debate whenever this is had on espn or people on social media you just gotta play one of those two clips bro and i think um i'm very i love the way he was humble about it he has every right to probably be arrogant about it and say i'm the goat or I've i've got the track record but he understands that Equipment changes, rule changes, tempo of game, the three-point line, the way the game's officiated in 2020 versus 2000, the hold and the grab, the hand-checking, all these things make huge differences to the game. You know, analytics today that put an emphasis on on bad, some, somewhat bad three-point shots being better than good two-point shots. So I love the pro. Uh, I think whenever we get in these debates or someone wants to ask me about the goat, I'm going to play that clip.
2: Folks, the thing about MJ that makes him great outside of what he did on the basketball court is, like every time he speaks about the game, he respects the history of it. He studies the history of it. He knew what came before him, and he has respect for it. And he's very humble. You know, he's very humble when he speaks, and he's got humility when he speaks. And when people want to like sort of throw himself into that debate, you know, there's countless interviews and press conferences that that question came up. And he always has history. He always has respect for the history of the game. And he never really mentions himself unless you could find it. Maybe he said it before. He's never really does that. And that's why I love that. It's not like, oh, I'm the best of all time. I'm the, you know, whatever, whatever. He doesn't really, like, he knows. He doesn't have to talk about it. And when he speaks about the game, he's a smart dude when it comes to that. He doesn't just say stupid shit. You know, and it's not fake. Like when you watch some certain players talk about stuff, it's already like pre-recorded. It's already, it's fake. It's already like scripted. With MJ, he just sort of spoke from the heart about it. And man, when he speaks, you know, he's he's very well spoken with that. And he's very articulate in his points that he makes about the game and, you know, and how he evaluates it and how you should evaluate it, how you should look at it. But that, again, I think that that's where today's players getting the difference between MJ and the players like that before where like those guys knew the history before it. I don't think the players today, not all of them, but I bet a majority of the players today really doesn't respect the history of the game as much. They always look in like their own error, you know, instead of looking at error before and having respect for that. I think that the, we're losing that Sort of grip on the game where people are disrespected in the past and like, like it's never been done before. You know, in the 80s and 90s and, you know, early 2000s, you, there was always a majority of players that had it. He knew the history of the game, respected the history of the game. And I think now that that, that era of seven, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, early two thousands, well, probably nineties more than anything is being disrespected and just sort of like, well, you know, they played at a brutal pace of basketball and it's nothing like the game today. And I, and there are great things about the game today, but yeah, it's always great to hear MJ talk about the history of it. Cause he's, you know, he's well-versed in it.
1: Shit. he, he I could, the fact that he hasn't done much media post career. Um, yeah. It just makes me want to sit and listen to him forever. Like, I, the amount, I've, the amount of stories this guy would have, and his life experiences, and and just small things, big things, little things. I I love to just have a ten hour chat with him, you know.
2: Yo, folks, like, so I, I've had extended experience being around the guy, uh, being with Grover. He was always around the gym early on, you know, working out, staying in shape, playing a little bit. But I work in his camp, and you know, in Santa Barbara. So, what they do at this camp. Is they had 750 kids, they paid 750 bucks, and you get one thing signed to Michael Jordan. So, like, at the end of the week, MJ gets in this room you know, probably as big as an NBA locker room, maybe half that size and they just like line up every player in camp and they go through this room one door out, one door in, one door out, and he signs everything. And then they close the doors every 20, 30 minutes so he can rest a little bit. But being around him and talking to him about the history of the game and stories and, you know, going against certain players and, you know, the guy is ridiculous. And, you know, I don't get weak in the knees for many being around many people, you know, billionaires, superstars. I don't really it doesn't really impact me. That guy, he's he's ridiculous, man. And talking to him about footwork or basketball or, you know. And like, he's just that articulate, and he's a great dude with that. As long as you're, like, you're not, you know, when you're just talking hoop with him, he'll talk hoop with you all day, you know. But the problem is nobody can go 18 seconds without asking him for some shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's, dude, when you do that, yeah, no shit. I've Selfie, never seen, autograph, I've seen it. Dude, I've seen it for five years working his camp and being around <laughs> the guy. Like, that guy will shut you off. I remember the first time I went up to him, I said, Hey, MJ, is it all right if I talk, you know, we have a conversation about footwork? And he gave me those eyes that I've seen before. And like he was gonna fucking shut me off. He goes, What, footwear? And he gave me that look. I go, No, 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 no. I don't give a fuck about that. I said, footwork. He goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And like every day it was funny. Like he showed up like twice a day at camp. He showed up early in the morning and he showed up at night. So right before the night session starts, like when they were k- taking a, um, when they taking you know attendance at camp, I would go up to him on the court and we, he would walk me through all of his footwork. And that guy, I'm telling you, is a master at it. And it's it's like him and Kobe are very similar at that, but he was. Every little angle and everything explained in the, uh, you know, this is where I got from Dr. J. I got this one from watching Elgin Baylor play. I got this one from this. And the guy is ridiculous. But, man, he's, yeah, he, he, he's a special dude, man. He's really good.
1: Agree. Agree. Big, big fan of the way he's gone about it, especially the last couple of years. Um, moving on, Dylan Brooks pushed and injured a cameraman. Mm-hmm. Did you see that, bro?
2: Yeah, I saw it last night.
1: like, Why? Why? I mean, this guy's becoming crazier and crazier by the minute. Uh, Look, I love the fact that he goes back at Draymond and Golden State. I think it's good theatrics. We spoke about that earlier with Steph and CP. But Memphis has gone from like the most likable team. Is this the biggest crash you've seen? Like Golden State went through it, but it took – like Golden State went through when I was there to the most likable team for two or three years. And then when KD came, they were one of the most hated, right? It took time. Memphis has gone from the most likable to one of the most cringeworthy to follow in less than a year, really, pro. Like, it's just all all the stuff they do off the floor, all the stuff on the floor, their front run, like, it just, oh, they're very, very hard for me to like. Um, This Brooks thing, you know, he claims it was an accident, but he gave him an extra shove for no reason, and his his antics are continuing to be, you know, just annoying to to watch. There's no need for it, um, but... (laughs) Yeah, the Grizzlies, man. I mean, what a fall from grace from from being the public sweethearts to to where they're at now.
2: Well, if it wasn't for Stephen Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr., I would fucking i i would I would never watch the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, those two guys are my favorite, you know, because they they just sort of do do things the right way, especially Stephen Adams. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the guy. I mean, this team. I think I think it starts from like not doing anything yet and really already thinking they're arrived and having this attitude. Now it's good because. As you know, confidence is very important. If you don't have confidence, even if it's fake confidence, if you don't have that in the NBA, you're fucked. And, you know, Brooks sort of, I think most of it's an act, to be honest with you, because he's not a very good basketball player. He's all right, but like, it's not like he's great at anything. He's a sort of a tough guy, and he does some things, and he tries to play tough and bully people and stuff, but cheap shot artist, not too bad, but enough, right? And... Yeah, the whole cameraman thing, and you know all this other stuff. I don't know who sent it to me, but I remember saying like he's got this problem with Draymond. But there's an uh, interview when he was at Oregon, and he was saying, "Yeah, you know, I just want to be like the Draymond Green of my team, you know, like a, a like a glue guy." Da da da. Speaking like like heavenly about fucking Draymond Green, and now you know sworn enemy. But look, I I respected his toughness last year. It's getting to be and I think that when you have a little bit of success in the league, that's probably the worst thing for you sometimes. Like some people could really handle it well and be humble about it and just sort of keep working and keep your head down at work. And then some guys try to like capitalize too much off a little bit of success because not a lot but a little bit. And I think that that's what Brooks sort of gets into. But I don't condone that at all. I- it's
1: a dynasty, Pro. What are you talking about? They're in a dynasty right now. You just you just haven't dynasty, bought into it yet. Yeah. It's a dynasty.
2: fucking duck dynasty. I don't know. According to them, their some words, bro. They're in a
1: dynasty right now, so you got to respect their dynasty. Of you know, they're going to scrape. They're going to they're going to scrape in um, to, the, to, yeah. to the playoffs with a lot of distraction. But Morant being back, at least he'll get some games under his belt. But uh-uh. anyway, if you're a Grizzlies fan, I apologize, but not not a likable team. Um, I don't I don't enjoy watching them play whatsoever, and I don't think they're going to do shit this year's playoffs. Maybe second round at best, and I think that would be a, an accomplishment for him. Um, what else do we have? Oh, bro. How about this? Ben Simmons and Clutch have parted ways mutually.
2: Oh no! You got a bunch yes. on this week. You
1: didn't catch that one, did you? Oh, got one. Um, yes, that's 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 oh, the no, report. No, Are sure you making me second it guess I it? Oh, good. It's, it's correct. No, I second guessed it because I thought you, you see a lot of news. But anyway, now I'm, there's on one hand, I'm wondering: Do you think Clutch is jumping ship because Ben's brand's gone downhill, or do you think Ben's? This is the one I hope. I hope Ben's finally said, you know what. Clutch isn't for me. I need to concentrate on my, my myself, my mentals, my game, my free throws, and I'm getting away from this circus of clutch and LeBron. I hope to God it's that one, Pro. I really do because I want him to do well. As an Australian, uh, he's an Australian iconic basketballer. I want him to do well, but I have a funny feeling it's it's the latter, Pro. I think Clutch is kind of like, yeah, we're, we're I think we should both move on, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, because... Your brand isn't what it used to be, and you need to go to a smaller agency. What What are your thoughts, bro? Oh,
2: it's interesting, Bogues. I don't know. I'll tell you what. Him and John Morin have a little bit in common. Whoever's in his circle, then he needs to fire every one of those motherfuckers, you know, and, and get back on 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 some like, <laughs> dude. Tell <laughs> was, your brother. It's hard to do. When it's your, your brother. It's your brother. He's I got think. Three duffel bags of cash waiting for him with the house. But enough's enough. Um, I, I don't know, Bogues, like, I mean, it's such a big check for the next, oh, they're going to be collecting that check anyway, because they they did the contract, yeah, so, I think his value is yeah, done on the league, to be yeah. honest, I, it's hard to come back from when, you know, unless you're going to come back as, like, a second unit player, whatever, I don't know why Clutch would really do it, because, like, they're collecting that check, whatever, and you know, they're just chilling. They got a they got eight hundred guys better than him on their rosters sheet. So it's like it is what it is. I don't I mean, it's not like it's not like they've got five guys and he's taken a spot for somebody else they could be getting. I don't think that they care. I think probably he did it. I, in my opinion, I think he did it. Um You know, because look, most NBA players are delusional and sometimes it's good to be delusional a little bit. You know, you think you're way better than you are and and like it gives you that confidence to bust anybody's ass possible. But you got Ben Simmons type delusion and it's everybody else's fault but you. And, you know, all this other shit that he fucked up in the last few years, he'll blame it on somebody else. And... You know, um, it goes back to like Nerwin's Noel saying no to ninety million and then firing his agent out. Like, wait a minute, dude, you said no to ninety, you know, or whatever <laughs> it was. And and I like Nerlens Noel a lot, but you can't blame your agent for doing that. Like, you know, you you made that decision, you know. Um, but for Ben, in my opinion, he's probably blaming the agent. You know, agent this and that. Um, if I'm him anybody who's been hanging around with me the last five or six years, I'm telling them to take a fucking hike, you know? And I'm, I'm, I I need, I need new, you know, like I knew, I need people around me that are going to be in my best interest and maybe people. I don't know as much and just like, as far as who's taking care of my training and doing all this stuff, like people, I don't know that like, isn't going to like baby me and isn't going to be just people who know what they're doing and it's best for my career. um, yeah, I don't give a fuck who his agent
1: is. I think that's Brooklyn. I, I think I think the time for Ben is don't hire a personal trainer. There's no one that has that doesn't I agree. That, no one has more incentive than in him doing well than Brooklyn. Work with their staff. Stay your ass in Brooklyn the summer, the off season. Have a two week break or a month break. Refresh mentally, and. Or, yeah. or worst case, if you want to spend it overseas, they'll fly someone out. They'll fly yeah. two people out if you want. As you know, I'll fly a strength trainer and a, and a development coach. Spend Most of these teams have pretty good development coaches for the most part. Spend your time with the club because like, yeah. at least they, they can be brutally honest. Like when you hire mm-hmm. someone, this is a problem. Like You hire a personal trainer, they're going to push the envelope to an extent but they're yeah, not going to step over it. that line yeah. with you because they're scared of what? The paycheck you're signing. So... Yeah, so it's it's very, very hard for you to get honest feedback. This is for all celebrities, basketball players, athletes, footy players, whatever. It's it's hard to get that honest feedback when they're on your payroll, right? So it's human nature. They're gonna they're gonna push you, but to an extent, they're not gonna say, you know, you need you suck at this, you need to do this better, like man, what the hell are you doing? They're not gonna do that. So a club can do that more because they have an incentive for you to get better and they're not gonna get fired. So it's it's there's a disconnect there. So I, I hope that's what he does. I hope he doesn't go and hire someone or go to one of these academy type workouts where we see him and the wife beater just getting up and down and balling. You know, I think it it just needs to needs to naturally occur. But I, I liked what I liked what I saw when I read it because I think it's a good start for him and revamping his career. And now it's going to be up to up to him how he goes.
2: Dude, he he just he needs a shooting coach and he needs a mental coach. Like if he's going to hire somebody like outside the team. He needs a sports psychologist that's going to work with him daily and he needs a shooting coach. That's it. Don't dribble the ball one time. Don't work on your defense. Don't work on your moves. Work on your shooting. That's it. Hire the best shooting coach on the planet that doesn't have over a million followers on Instagram. Just hire somebody who knows what the (laughs) fuck they're doing and they can get into your head in a good way and challenge you. And just teach you how to shoot. That's it. And not threes. Just free throws. That's all you need to be able to make. You could shoot 11% from three. Make 75% of your free throws. And they can be. They, now you can be on the floor. And you're fine. Don't worry about the three. The three is the most overrated shot mm-hmm. to make in yep. basketball. When you're a player that has the ball in your hands a lot. Because if you're going to get to the free throw line, you're going to have opportunity. Yes, it's important to make a three. Don't get me wrong. But the free throw in my opinion, when you're a player that has high usage, is much more important. I'd rather shoot 85 from the line and 30, uh, 28 from the three than be able to shoot 42 from the three and 58 to 60 from the line. It, it, it makes no sense. That's, that's on me.
1: I agree, but let's hope this is a step in the positive direction for Ben Simmons' his career. Final one NBA-wise, now this is a kiss of death, in my opinion, of some it, but according to a high-ranking source in Portland, Pro Chauncey Billups' job is
2: safe. Oh, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as
1: soon as you know, the reason why we laugh is as soon as you no see a statement was, like this for no out reason, like yeah. no one asked. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's asked. But it's the fact that someone's putting this shit out there. You know, the, the, someone's got their matches in, in the hand. It might not happen immediately, but there's discontent in that franchise. I assume starting from 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 one portion of scouts, of front office, assistant GM. I don't know, but this is how things start. This has been strategically leaked by someone, and it's a high-ranking source. But uh, Chauncey Billups, who was you know doing a phenomenal job early in the season, is now they're not winning so many games. They just lost to the Clippers as we speak. They're not not playing well at all. I fell out of the playing realms as well. But uh, as soon as you see that I, I call that the kiss of death, the time the stopwatch has been started, unless something drastic happens and Chauncey comes back next season and they they battle for a top six, top seven seed. He's he looks to be in some yeah, trouble project. You know, uh, yeah.
2: Interesting. The, the media stuff that happens in this league, um, it's usually leaked out by you know, by somebody, by the agent of the of the coach, uh, by front office, by you know, somebody just, it's just, it's weird how that sort of information training goes. Right. Um, and and look, it's hard to sustain things. Like they don't have a lot of talent on their team outside of, you know, Dame and, you know, they've got a couple other players, Grant and some things, but like, it's tough. It's tough. But yeah, like you said, you did well early, but just out of the blue, I, I wasn't even thinking about Chauncey Billups' job. Like I, I would, I was thinking maybe a couple of months ago by like, Next all-star break, if he doesn't get it going, his seat's going to heat up a little bit. But it's weird that it just comes out all of a sudden, like right now, you know, of all of all people. But They should be better, though. Yeah.
1: They should be better than they are. I mean, they're starting a the lineup right now. Lillard and Simon's a Lillard elite point guard. Simon's is an up-and-coming guard. Nurkic is a solid center. Reddish at the power forward, okay, maybe a mismatch there. Matisse um, is playing good basketball right now. Then they have Grant coming off the bench. They have Their bench isn't phenomenal, but i think they you know shade and Sharp isn't bad and little isn't bad they should be better than they are. they should be they should be in the realm with you know competing at least for a plane like you compare them to the lakers they should be in that mix they should be they're 13th right now at 31 and 39 they they should be at least in you know utah jazz at 34 and 36 they should be 10 11 competitive for those spots so there is some fairness there but um you know it's a bit early to be calling for Chance Phillips said in my opinion. They've still got a lot of work to do, and 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 to see how good he is of, of a coach when when things get a bit a bit better for him. College B ball pro. Um, we're going to get your thoughts on something to do with with Bronny shortly. But did you see the uh, notes about transfer the transfer portals? You seen these numbers?
2: 800 in, 800 in the first uh, forty eight hours, and um, it's going to get up to probably of two thousand. It's going to be above two thousand.
1: Yeah. So. So I've only got it from the first day. Uh, the transfer portal sets records on day one of a 60-day window. With 30 percent of teams, was 30 percent of teams were still playing at that point. Pro, so they couldn't even officially put their transfer papers in. More than 170 players entered the college B-Ball transfer portal before 7 p.m. Eastern on the first day it was open. That's five five percent of players on teams not in the tournament have entered the portal in the first few hours it was open, which is just amazing. I mean, it's. We've talked about it before and a little bit of adversity and players want to jump ship. I mean, this this, this is, this is not a, you can't make it as easy as this. I was big on, you know, it was unfair that you had to sit a, a year out because I, I felt like there was people genuinely wanting to move for the right reasons. But now it's like every man and his dog, oh, oh I only played 20 minutes this season. I should have played 30. I'm transferring. And I don't think that's right neither. So, <laughs> but that's just an amazing number. And it's probably where we are as a society of, you know, just being able to quit and, and change course whenever you want and be appeased to by parents, coaches, junior coaches, high school coaches, where that's just the normal. You, you, I don't even know if you can blame the kids to an extent, pro. I think you blame the adults in the room throughout their upbringing for allowing this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it starts, as, it starts with the parents. And, you know, it's funny, like there are players, a lot of players that I work with that their parents are just enablers, right? Then there's like I, I have a, a client that – um you know, thinking about transferring in college and the parents basically like, the fuck you are. You're staying the fuck where you are <laughs> and that's it. I don't want to fucking hear this transfer bullshit. You you gave your word and that's what that's what you do. And it it's just where we are as a society, bogues, and you know, with everybody going nuts and protesting and you know threatening suing and things like that. Like the NCAA just bows down to it now. You know, talk about player empowerment and this and that and NIL. And, you know, there's a million things going on in this in, in college basketball that's just it, it makes your head spin. I think with the transfer thing, I think I don't mind if a player is going to transfer. If a player wants to transfer, let them transfer. Now, what I think that needs to happen is this things make sense. It doesn't make sense to allow a player to transfer and be automatically eligible right away if they're going to leave. Now, I think there should be rules with that. Like they say, well, the adults get to leave whenever they want. Coaches get to change jobs, you know, and they and they leave players behind. I think that if you put in two rules, I think a lot of this stuff will be better. A, you got to sit out a year, all right, for sure on a transfer. Now, two rules will let you be eligible right away next year. If you have – if your coach gets fired or quits – or, or go somewhere else, you should be able to transfer with no problem. The second thing is, is if you have a sickness at home, you could you could leave to to go to, to transfer to a school at a bordering state of your hometown, you know, for where your family is. If you have a family emergency, automatic eligible the next season, and that's fine. I, I just think that today we have such a delusion and there's no adult in the room anymore. There's nobody really saying, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You're transferring. If you're a mid-major player and you average more than 9.9 points a game, you're definitely transferring. It, it, like that's why. Like if if a guy, I would have a manager next to me as a head coach. Coach, this guy's got nine points. I would sit that motherfucker down. I don't care if it, the last 38 minutes of a game. I would sit that motherfucker because if he averages 10, he's gone. He's going to transfer. If you don't like, if you don't kiss a player's ass, they're going to transfer. And, they're just, and they just do it to do it. And it happens in the boys. It happens in the girls. It happens everywhere because there's no rules anymore. It's the wild, wild west. Everybody's bowing down. Instead of saying, look, we, we want to give you as many rights as possible, for sure. Like, but we can't just bow down and let you do whatever you want. And if things don't go your way, you just transfer That's why you're seeing the 16th rated team beat a first rated team, you know, and that's why you see teams like FDU, Fairleigh Dickinson out of New Jersey, you know, beating, you know, number one seeds, because it's hard to really sustain a roster anymore. It's free agency. You got a lot of these colleges that like that that take train, like just just recruit transfer portal. They don't recruit high school guys anymore. I'd say 30 to 40 percent. Of colleges only you know only recruit transfer portals, that means high school guys and girls like it's hard to, uh, hard to get anything done. Also folks, over twenty five percent of people in the transfer portal won't get a school next year like you, you, this guys this, this guys a, you know these people transfer on average of like 0.8 points a game. Where the fuck are you going to go? <laughs> where the fuck are you gonna go? You're, you're averaging zero point <laughs> eight fucking points a game. Seriously, like where the fuck are you gonna go? So like, why don't you just stop playing tennis or something? Because you got no, hits, you got no future in basketball. You got a, that dumb fuck that gave you a scholarship when you're averaging zero point eight points a fucking game. You know that would rather watch a porn with fucking Roseanne Barr in it than fucking play your ass. And you're gonna transfer somewhere else. Get the fuck out of here. And that's the Maybe problem. AI. What?
1: You can transfer your ass to an NAIA or NCAA. Yeah, you know what, NAIA, you know,
2: you know what NAIA stands for, Bogues, right? No academic what? information available.
1: <laughs> That's actually a good one. Appreciate uh, yeah, I have that one before, which is pretty much true. They, they let any man and their dog in that league um, competitively to the NCAA, for those not familiar, smaller kind of collegiate league with some different rules. But yeah, interesting nonetheless. And what you got some news? Break down this Bronny thing because I'm not familiar with it. You're you're kind of really in tune yeah. with what's happened there with with his high school American ranking and whatnot.
2: Yeah, folks, it's interesting. Look, I mean, the, the the McDonald's game has always been a shit show. You know, like where you know where you know this player was rated this, and he he gets to be in a McDonald's game or whatever. Um, but it's an interesting deal. So coming into the year, you know, throughout the year. Bronny was, I, I've seen Bronny a little bit. I think he's a good player. He can shoot. He's got decent size. Um, he's nothing like his dad. He's not a superstar. I know, you know, his dad's being, you know, like tweeting about he's better than some guys in the NBA. You <clears throat> know, whatever. You know, it's a dad being a dad. But like going into the McDonald's game within a month or two of the game, he wasn't rated all that high. I think ESPN had him at like 35. Uh, and three other scouting services had him at forty one, sixty one, thirty eight, and you know at the McDonald's, you know, ratings. And the McDonald's game takes the top twenty four players in the country in the senior class. Can only be a senior to be a McDonald's uh, participant. And like no one, you know, at, then you started like a month before. Like me, like every media service talking about Bronny James, how he's this, he's this, he's big time, he's great, you know, top 10 player, top whatever. So now he gets into the McDonald's game and ESPN has him ranked, I think at the last time I've seen it, somebody's told me that he was ranked like ninth in the scene. Like in a little context to that, like he doesn't play in a strong league. And look, I'm not, there's nothing against him. Look, you wanna you wanna put him in because he's he's LeBron's son? Go right ahead. It is what it is. You know, it's nepotism goes on everywhere, anywhere. You know, there's it doesn't hide. White, black, you know, woman, man. Nepotism That's outside, nepotism. I'm sorry
1: to cut you off. It's outside of nepotism, it's the fact that his name will sell the game more, right? And no more marketing more hype. Yeah, no yeah. doubt.
2: I got no problem with him being but it is a little weird. Here's the that's not that weird to me. So he's 34 in one scouting service, 41 in another, 61 in another, and 38 in another, and he got to the McDonald's game. Look, that's, that's top fun. 30,
1: right? So 15 on each team or 12 on each team?
2: Uh, 24, 12 in each team. So 12, make the McDonald's okay, yeah. game. So yep. uh, okay, so he's up plus or minus. Now ESPN's the main, um, the main scouting service. Like like that's where people usually get the ranking stuff. But here's the weird thing, folks. He doesn't play in a great league. All right. His team gets eliminated by a team that was just okay. He had by 10 points. The guy was second team all conference in his own conference. You're a McDonald's All American. And like, like, the, the big-time league, the only real big-time league, there's a there's one, like, league that, like, you fly to all your games. It just joined the last couple of years. I forgot. It's the NIBL or something like that. And they got a lot of big-time schools to play in it. But, like, his league isn't that league. And he was second-team all-conference as a McDonald's All-American. That's like being first-team all-NBA in... Rated 43rd in the Atlantic division in the NBA. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. It it was weird to me. I don't care about the McDonald's thing. You gotta sell the game. It's LeBron's son. You you know, he's in, you know, look, that's that's what happens when you're a superstar. You're a little entitled, you can get that stuff done. I'm all I'm I'm okay with that. That's been happening for centuries. But the fact that you're a McDonald's all-American. And your second team all-league in your league was weird to me. That, like, either the coaches really don't like him in that league or I don't know. But sec, I've never seen that happen before in the history of the McDonald's game. And I could be talking out of my ass. I could be Kendrick Perkins all day. I don't know. I'm- I might be just making some shit up like Kendrick. But second team all-conference in an okay conference and you're McDonald's All-American, that doesn't add up to me. So, that's what
1: I got. Yeah, and it's, it's fair enough. Like, just admit it. You, you want to sell more tickets. You want to get LeBron involved. But, LeBron, one tweet, yeah. you're going to have more viewers. So it makes sense from that that aspect. But the fact that, you know, somewhat not fair to the kids that deserve to be there, you know? That's so, the thing.
2: Um, mm. That's the thing. Like, you took a spot from somebody that was rated higher than you. Again, it happens. But, like, that player might really need it to push. Wherever they're trying to go to school, maybe maybe they got like some decent schools, like maybe they got like lower tier power fives, and he could play really well in that really high end school could offer him. It is what it is. I'm not gonna be all like play the victim on this stuff for other people. It is what it is. I mean, he's rated oh, high enough. If you enough. want to
1: hear about taking taking spots on teams, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later, Pro. But um, <laughs>
2: let's do it. Yeah, let's just, do it.
1: This is just the tip of an iceberg. But let's get into our Aussie of the week, brought to you by Dabble dabble a social betting experience where you can copy bets, very simple, see a bet on your feed you like, boom, hit that copy bet button and it's on your account and you've copied it uh, follow my, you can follow mine, uh, or Andrew Berger all one word on the app, uh, jump into the banter channel, have a chat with other punters in whatever sport you like, mainly basketball for me, go on and download the app app store, dabble all one word, dabble socially and gamble responsibly, a big week this week, uh, four, most teams have played four games so we'll do a Uh, Checking with the Aussies. Ben Simmons is still out injured. Nothing new there. Back. um, Dyson Daniels, still a rough going for him since he's been back from injury. He was 1.1, 1.5 rebounds and 2.25 assists per game. He has worked his way into being kind of their defensive stopper for perimeter players. So his stats don't jump out, but he, he does have a pretty influential role on that team off the bench. Him and Alvarado are, are a bit of a menace when they put those two in the game together. So you can't just look at his numbers. Daly had three points in garbage time versus the Wizards. Patty Mills, still DNP since March 9th, hasn't played a game where he had that 23-point explosion. Hasn't seen the court since. Jock Landale, a better week, 6.7 points, 2.75 rebounds, 1.25 assists. So he's had a solid week. Giddy, another solid week as per normal, 14, 14.75 points, 9.2 rebounds, 5.5 assists. Last week, he almost averaged a triple-double, so a bit of a down week there. Matisse Thibel probably is the best week uh, of the season, 10.5 ten, points, 3.25 rebounds, and two steals a game, so solid outing for him in four games. Joe Ingalls, 8.6 points, 4.3 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal. Probably one of his better weeks as well. Jack White, no DMPs in the NBA, no minutes there. But he is averaging 19 and 10 in 12 games in the G League, 40% from three. So he was a muck guy in the NBL at times where teams would dare him to shoot the three. So you love to see him shooting at 40%, uh, two for five from three. So at volume as well per game, two for five per game, which is sensational for Grand Rapids. Gold. Xavier Cooks, welcome to the NBA, my man. We've got another another guy on our Aussies to watch. He got he had two rebounds in six minutes in garbage time for the Wizards, fresh off a championship and fresh off the plane. They're wasting their time in the NBA. I think he was only in DC for 24 odd hours. That's uh, a tough flight. That's that's the other side of the US from Australia, which is probably a 24, 25 hour flight with transiting. So good to see Xavier there. But the Aussie of the week. Josh Green, I'm giving it to Josh Green. He had a hell of a week. 17 points, 3.3 rebounds, 5 assists a game, 5 for 14 from 3. He's our only two-time winner uh, of Aussie of the week other than the great Josh Giddey. I doubt he's going to get Josh Giddey. We're running out of weeks, but uh, good week for Josh Green nonetheless. Mav stole a few games with some injuries, so that's good to see. Pro, that's the Aussie watch there. Let's get into the NBL your Sydney Kings Pro uh, Champions, yes, it was. It was, you know, it was an interesting final series uh, for for many reasons. Um, this one, the people that I spoke to within our organisation, owners, of the GM, even some players, this was a back to back chip, and a lot of people felt more of a relief than a celebration. Pro in this series, um, and there's a lot of things, the pressure of us being number one all season. New Zealand were a formidable opponent. They pushed us to the brink. Um, But it was interesting to hear a lot of people agree that I'm more relieved than – I'm happy, but I'm more relieved right now that we just won it. So that was an interesting note. But I felt like New Zealand probably choked this series to an extent. Um, That's not discrediting what they did, but I think we stole the series, Pro. We stole game two and shouldn't have won that game. When you look back, we – Xavier Cooks and Walton pretty much – Non existent in those games. They played six, six odd minutes each or less. We're out with injury. We end up winning that with an amazing defensive por- deform- de- uh, performance, most notably by Justin Simon. And then game five, we're down basically for 35 minutes of that game. And, you know, we're down, I think it was 66 to, to 59 with. Um, five minutes left. Xavier Xavier goes to the free throw line, misses both, and we come we go on an eighteen to two run to close game five out. Pro, so an amazing series. Credit to New Zealand. Both the game two and four sellout crowds. Game three and five for Sydney sellout crowds at eighteen odd thousand for Sydney and and ten thousand for New Zealand. Both at capacity. Great for the league. It looked great on TV. I had people messaging me that. You know some some companies i'm invested in some some people that are not sport people at all were texting me like i watched a game it was awesome i, lo- I love that i'm not a basketball fan but i'm gonna be a fan now so hmm. that's what we want that's what we want from these kind of series we'll like i said we'll, we'll take it um i know a lot of people who don't like myself for whatever reason or ownership group or the re- you know there was the anyone but sydney hashtag You're going to have to wait another year for that, um, unfortunately. So we we have another championship to defend. We're back-to-back now, and our free agency starts in 10 days. Um, We're going to figure that out along the way. We've lost a lot of our talent again. Xavier's gone now. Most likely our imports will get picked up somewhere else and make more money, and that's part of the game. So we've got to regroup and try to bring as many guys back as we can, pro. But, uh, yeah, and and, and best of luck to Xavier over there in in Washington, pro.
2: Both, do you now? Do you get involved in the recruit? Um, now, do they do? They don't do any pitches or anything. You just sort of like talk to agents for signing players, right? It's not like the NBA where you got to sort of like get on a plane somewhere to like ownership group or front office or whatever to recruit somebody to come play for you guys. Like, no, how does that work? Not, yeah,
1: it's not as extravagant as that. <laughs> you really have to yeah. woo guys in the in the Hamptons, pro, Uh but. Yeah, look, where we we have calls. We're one of the most proactive ownership groups in the league, and I can, I can confidently say that because I've spoke to numerous people in different clubs about how f- how often they meet. We we meet weekly at a minimum in, in when nothing's going on. So we have a weekly call no matter what, and then obviously around free agency and different things going on that gets ramped up. We had a call last night. Going through our budget and what we're we're looking to spend next season so we're familiar with that and then our GM goes out there and does it and then brings it back to us and said I've got this player for this do we want to do it and there's a lot that goes into our you know you think the, the NBA salary caps are complicated the NBL is just as bad you know there's all these breakdowns and there's Mm -hmm. exemptions for an asian player there's exemptions for a next star there's an exemption for an indigenous player it doesn't count they they all don't count on your cap then you've got marquees two marquees only count for 250k to your cap and even if you pay him 800 marquee meaning an australian star you've brought home from overseas and then you've got the imports there's a lot to take in it's not as easy as you know it's almost a rubik's cube of a of a financial spreadsheet figuring this thing out but yeah, I mean, myself and Luke Longley are probably the basketball brains as far as we think this player is good. We think, oh, we don't want to spend that much for him and all that kind of stuff. And with X leaving now, and we have we have a lot of cash free. Um, mm-hmm. Not that we wanted to, we'd rather have X back, but we have a lot of cash you know. free. There's a few buyouts as well that we'll get back from for X and maybe a few other players that are, might go overseas. So. Um, we're in a good spot and we like where we're at, but trying to rebuild this puzzle for a three-peat is going to be hard. And um, it's just one of those things in the NBL that, you know, we're, 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 we're not the NBA and we're not EuroLeague. So if we have players perform well, they get poached by teams in Asia. Japan's coming knocking a, a big-time pro. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but Japan is spending big, big money. You know, Taiwan, people speak about because Dwight's over there, but Japan's the one that we're worried about because as a league, they, they can pay two, three X what we can pay for, for Aussie superstars. So, what they're doing is they like Australian talent because they're no nonsense, they're professional, they come sure. in, they do their job, and they're happy to pay them eight, nine hundred thousand USD, which we just can't afford to pay. So, in the yeah. current, current, current salary structure we have, that's you get two of those players, that, you know, that's almost 80 90% of your cap, right? So, you got to be very careful. But Japan's the one we're worried about. But, um, yeah, I mean, back to back, we love it, great for the league, and we'll see, uh, see if we can go three Pete.
2: Bogues, you got uh, you guys doing any type of parade or what, what are you doing?
1: Nah, it doesn't go to those extent. I mean, we'll probably do a little bit, but the problem mm-hmm. is everyone's already on a plane and gone. You know, that's ah, the, okay. the brutalness of, of the NBA. Is most of our guys will pick up contracts for the end of seasons in yeah. Europe or Asia and a few of them are on a plane already. X has gone to the NBA. So we had a bit of a celebration on Friday and it's kind of similar to the NBA once the season ends. Those those planes are smoking. And everyone's gone to different cities, so we'll probably do a media bash around it and over the next week. But um, yeah, it's 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 just one of those things. That's, you know, you know how you've been around playoff teams and whatnot. When it ends, it ends. That's it. Oh it's my kind of scattered. god! Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's scattered. I, so I've, we'll try yeah. to promote it for corporates and and try to get more people on board, but. Basketball's doing in Sydney, the Kings are, you know, on, on everyone's minds basketball wise, which is great to see. And to get, you know, to get eighteen thousand and sell out Kudos Bank Arena two games out of that final series is just is just great for basketball to see. And you watch that product on TV, that's an NBA like arena that's sold out and I think credit should be given and albeit that the fans that came out and, and everyone that supported it, it's you know, it was great.
2: No, it's great, man. Congrats on the on the success of that and you know, that's tough, man. It's tough to win that like that anywhere. You know, people think it's just the NBA. It's tough. I mean, doing it overseas is is really tough. Like, because, you know, you're, like you said, your rosters are volatile. Like, you know, there's a lot of change and things that happen. And it's not like the NBA where you have these five-year deals on a lot of players and you get to keep a lot of guys. I mean, it's tough. It's tough to, to keep that thing rolling. So, you know, that's, that's cool. Hopefully, hopefully you could try to, you know, get number three, you know, real soon. So that'll be awesome. Thank you. All right. Now
1: a bit of a contentious subject, uh, over the last week here in Australia, I, I posted a tweet last week. I, I got word that the NBL one South, which is the women's, uh, minor league, I, I guess you'd call it for you Americans. It's a, the, the league under NBL one, um, based in Victoria, has come out and, and they're, in, they're in the process of about to approve a, a, a biological male to play in the women's league. Um, so I posted out that news. The reason why I did it was because girls had reached out to me, people from the league had reached out to me saying, do you know about this? And I said, well, no, because it's the first time I've heard about it. Um, and, and the reason why I did it was the, the exact reaction that I got. They, they you know, Basketball Victoria were – trying to just play it in-house under the rug till it happens and then being like, well, it's already happened too bad. And it's caused a, a bit of a shitstorm for them and everyone in the basketball community. And, and rightfully so, they deserve that. There was no transparency with it, in my opinion. Um, and I just want to say, I've got nothing against people uh, that are transgender, that want to, you know, you want to transition, you want to be, you know, if you're a male and you want to transition to a female or, or vice versa, do what you got to do. I don't think you're allowed in women's spaces. Though. Um, that's where I draw the line. I, I think that you know bathrooms, women's sport, all that kind of stuff. No go for me. That's just my opinion on it, and I'm pretty staunch on it. I, I just think there's numerous reasons why I'm against it. Um, but I'm not discriminatory in any way around. Like if you want to go to a cafe or a restaurant, hey, we don't we don't accept your kind. No, no, that's, that's not acceptable neither. So just make that clear. But it has been interesting, and um, I just think the conversation around this is is very one-sided. It's very pro. A lot of people, oh, no, everyone's for it. That's not the case. The majority of girls in this league are not for it. Most most of them are very scared to even utter that confidentially, um, as seen by some tweets that I put out from a source. Apparently, Basketball Victoria found that source and threatened her. So I took down the tweets out of respect to her because I said I would if she got in trouble and wasn't comfortable. I would take it down. And then I reposted stuff in my own wording. But it's... The athlete in question, apparently, state-level Victorian volleyballer, so super athletic, and I'm not blaming the athlete, and I don't think the athlete should receive any abuse and and, and – you know, anything untoward from people, I think you need to go at the administrators and the people handling it. Um, but that's what's happened in the last week. It's really blown up. There's a conversation that needs to be had. So much so that Basketball Victoria has lost the rights to determine what's going to happen. Basketball Australia, the country governing body, has overtaken it because it was handled so poorly from Basketball Victoria. And I guess they're going to have a decision in, in the next coming weeks because the season starts on the 1st of April. But I just think that, you know, it's, we're not, I'm not going to get into this too much because the basketball podcast. We don't want to bore you with political stuff. I'm going to be doing a podcast at length about this later on in the week with a, with a guest to really get into the pros and cons. But I, I really do think that women's sport in general could be at jeopardy long-term uh, if this continues. And people might say, oh, it's just one person. Yes, in 2023, it's one person. 2024, it's two people. In 2030, it's 20 people. And then, you know, you've got, you know... um, biological males playing in female sports and, and dominating because you know whether you like it or not males are you know stronger and more athletic and faster for the most part and it really going to it's really going to change the dynamic of women's sport that we should be protecting for our young girls pro
2: Yeah folks you know the the whole transgender thing doesn't really impact my world on a daily basis because I don't have any friends or Acquaintances that that sort of are transgender. So I don't think about it a lot. I know it's a lot in the media. Um, that the, the so I'm very accepting of everybody. Like you just said, like same thing. You know, I don't care, gay, transgender, by whatever you are, you are, and and that's fine. You live in the world, and and that's what we do. The two things that I feel very strongly about is the same things you were talking about: bathrooms and sports. I don't think that um, men should. I don't care. You know, if you're born a male, um, I don't think you should have any right to be in a woman's bathroom You know, just for safety. You know, whatever you do, that's fine. Just go into the bathroom that you sort of that's what that's what you were born, male, female. That's what you do. And in sports, I don't care about like, you know, I know there's been articles about testosterone levels and this and that. And I just don't think there's any room for a male and female sports um, or, you know, or vice versa. I just think that, look, whatever you're born as- well, That's has, a thing, pro. Play- it doesn't yeah.
1: happen vice versa. <laughs> that's yeah, the elephant happen. in the room. You yeah. ever? I've not heard of a female transitioning to male wanting to go and play in the NBA or the NBL. It doesn't happen. So, yeah. you know, it's a tough one. And, and to your point on testosterone, my, my problem with this is the testosterone- uh, there's there's leagues and governing bodies. Pros referring to is they they'll you need to be on hormone blockers or testosterone blockers, um, and and potentially estrogen, female hormones, when you're transitioning. And there's a certain criteria that some of these governing bodies will have where your testosterone levels need to be per whatever the guidelines are down to a certain level, right? Yeah. So theoretically, pro, I'm seven foot tall. I'm, t- I'm 120 kilos, 260. I can go on these test- testosterone blockers for however long it takes me, six months, I'd assume, um, get mm-hmm. under those levels and what well, I can play WNBA ne- next year uh, with with my muscle mass, with my bone density as a fully grown man. That's where I have a problem with this. It's just like, yeah. you know, and people say, oh, it's not cut and dry. We got to take every case individually. Well, then then you're discriminating against someone who's seven foot, right? Oh, you know, you're too yeah. big, even though you're under the threshold for testosterone, we're not going to let you in. And that's what was echoed with the NBL One Women's. Someone asked that question, like, what if a six nine, you know, 100 kilo guy wants to form former guy wants to play in our league oh no we wouldn't allow that because that that's obviously could put our girls in jeopardy well then you're discriminating what's the cutoff six eight six seven what's what's the kilogram rating like and that's where this gets murky pro and they've, they've really painted themselves into a corner and one thing i've got to mention is there's 15 16 year old girls in this league as well yeah um so the age of consent laws you know around around you know sexual stuff but I'd love to understand if a, a biological male is walking around in the female change room with their female penis out. Is that was that what you say these days? Female penis out in front of 15 and 16 year old girls. That's a whole separate issue again. Cause you've got young girls in there that essentially could be, you know, going to the police or court cases or whatnot, you know?
2: No doubt. No doubt. And, and then just think about it theoretically, right? Basketball player that is finishing up at like Utah valleys, Utah state, right? He's a good player, not good enough to be a like play pro or make any type of money, but good, like six six, decent athlete, strong guy, what have you. No family, but really wants to play basketball and wants to make a living in basketball. Well, look, the max contract in the WMB is two, like two fifty, right? Uh women's basketball, you can make you know the WNBA players play overseas during the winter time they make depending on how good you are, you can make 600 to a million dollars a year. So like if I'm a player, seriously like if I, I don't want to start a family or anything like that, I'm like, fuck it, let me just do this. I can go in Russia some some fucking guy's gonna pay me you know some team's gonna pay me like 750 800 to play. And then I'll go back in the WNBA, play, make 100 grand at least, or 75 to 100, and work my way up into a max player there. So within three years, I'll be making a million dollars a year in basketball, kicking the shit out of everybody. You know, like, like I'm sure that that may not happen, but who says it's not? It's weird. Oh, well, it'll happen. But the,
1: it's a matter yeah. of when. That's the argument that, that activists will say. So, oh, that's that's so- an extreme case. It's not going to happen. No one wants to just transition. For for money, what we see, what people do for money, we see people people risk jail. Like look what these NBA players did. We spoke about last week with the fraud scheme with the NBL health fund. That was for two hundred and ten thousand dollars or one hundred and thirty thousand dollars.
2: And by the way, half those people that fucked around with the dentist money still got fucked up teeth. So that's, that's even more <laughs> fucked up, but that's for another day. But yeah, you're right. But but that's, we, that's
1: my point. That's, that, that was over minuscule money. They risked five years in jail. People are going to transition to men to make money if they uh, transition from male to female no doubt. when they're really not to make some money. Of course they
2: are. There will be at least 10 that would do it in the next five years. At least. You know, I mean, you know how desperate basketball players are to stay in basketball? and now you have a chance to make real money cuz like i said like wnba players for the most part make 75 grand, 100 grand, whatever they make, they don't make much unless you're a max level deal player. Like you can go overseas and make really good money. So like now you're talking about transitioning to a female because you want to put an extra 3 million bucks in your pocket in the next 5 or 6 years. Like there's enough men basketball players that are marginal, like marginal pro prospects have no chance to play in overseas. But if they play on the female side, can kick, you know can kick ass because all they got to do is take testosterone blockers. We for see Leah
1: Thomas. Leah Thomas is the example in the NCAA. You know, mm-hmm. three what was it two, three, four hundredth rank in the men's transition to 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 a woman. Um, and is just smashing records and, and first on every podium, so look we don't want to bore people too much about this yeah, political yeah, stuff, sure. but I think it is important for the sanctity of, of female basketball and girls' basketball and protecting our women in their spaces. i'm a big advocate for that, and I think you know further discussion needs to be had on both sides, and I'll continue that um, but we won't we won't get too much into it now all right, a useful or useless pro this one was an interesting one it's a historic one, but it it was just I guess solidifies the Spurs aren't having a lot of success this season. So we'll give them a bit of love, but it it is the San Antonio Spurs salary ranking each of the season. They won the title pro. Would you happen to know where they genuinely would sit in each consistently with these, their salary ranking in the league each title year? So the title years were 99, 2003, 05, 07 and 14.
2: I I didn't even look at the run sheet, so I don't even know. Um, I'm going to guess like, I mean, they're championship level T, they're championship team, so I'm going to have to say they're in the top five. So, yeah, let's just say four.
1: Generally, yeah. So, in in, in 99, they were Mm 7th. In 2003, they were 16th. In 2005, get this, Pro, 24th. Wow. In
2: 2007,
1: because they obviously had to pay Ginobili and whoever. Mm -hmm. And 2014, they were 19th. Wow. So... It just solidifies how how much of a juggernaut they've been in developing talent, in you know not overpaying for guys and panicking, keeping their core group together. It all helps having a guy like Tim Duncan in that squad that is selfless and took, you know, probably quick some, some Yeah, he took a bit of pay cuts. There was the Orlando Magic deal and all that as well. Yep. I remember, we could have left there, but mm-hmm. um, pretty impressive for me. So useful or useless, bro?
2: Useful for sure. It just makes again. I think teams forget about the importance of player uh player evaluation and be able to draft well be able to be able to develop your talent once you get it and cultivate it and then also take those diamonds in the rough and the people that are like sort of lost their way in the first couple of years in the NBA bring them and basically rehabilitate them into serviceable NBA players I think it's very very useful in my opinion what, what do you think yeah very useful
1: very useful they're bang for is the fact that they weren't even top five once Um, All right, 99, they were seventh. They had David Robinson and some some rookies which helped them. But in 2007, they were eighth. But 24th in 05 and 19th in 14. Well done. That's credit goes to R.C. Buford, who I just saw last week, funnily enough, was over here in Australia watching Chase win a championship. Great job to the Spurs. All right, next one. Kings reach 40 wins for the first time since 2006. And segue to this, someone posted a photo, which I found hilarious, was this was my last phone case cover when the Kings made huh. the playoffs. And it was a right. Nokia, or Nokia as the Americans say, 3310 phone case with Mike Bibby on the actual case. <laughs> that was in 2006. But anyway, Kings reached 40 wins for the first time since 2006. Pro, useful or useless?
2: Pretty useful, man. That's, that's a pretty funny story, though. No, it's, it's unbelievable, though, that they've gone that long, whatever. In, Almost um, 20
1: years, man. Almost 20 yeah,
2: years. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I, I will say definitely, uh, definitely useful.
1: Yeah, use, useful, but obviously it's exclamation point is just on how bad they've been <laughs> the last 16-odd last years. You know, they've been horrendously bad. So good on the Sacramento Kings. Good to see them back. Great fan base. Um, ghost town of a city, as Pro says, the, the zombie apocalypse, but uh, the walking dead. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're lighting that beam every night. All right, next one. Drew Holiday Pro passes Jason Kidd all-time for leaders in blocks for a point guard. Useful or useless?
2: <laughs> um, i'm gonna have to say useful i mean what that's pretty that's pretty weird Weird stat but it yeah is. i'll say i'll say useful yeah for sure let's do it
1: useful box tick holidays a beast defensively steals blocks um i didn't realize jay kidd was the all-time leader though. that's impressive i did too, not from, know point, like that from the point guard so a lot of re-contests i'd assume
2: dude that's the last that's, that's the last guy i would think you know, athletically that would get up and get blocks. I would think like Westbrook or somebody would have it just because, Mm. you know, athleticism and length and all that stuff. That's, that's, that's a, that's a a little bit shocking to see that J kid was,
1: uh, especially when you hear the stories from when I was in Dallas, they said J kids warm up that year. He was in Dallas. Were you there? You weren't there yet, right?
2: No, no, I, I wasn't the there
1: yet. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. So they said Jay Kid's warm up was so in Dallas they had like one of these external hot tub, fiberglass hot tubs in the corner of like the the recovery area. They said his warm up for games that that final season in Dallas he was with was a bag of potato chips or Frito Lay's or Thins and a and a can of Coke. <laughs> that <laughs> and that was the- and he sat in the hot. T- uh, but, sorry, while he sat in the hot tub, that was his warm up. That like, was none of this go out and shoot shit. There was like. Nah, man, I'm going to sit my ass on the I'm, – I'm almost 40. I'm sitting in this hot tub, warming up my bones. I'm going to have a Coke and a packet of chips, and I'm going to go bucket some people.
2: <laughs> that is the most useful thing that you said in this segment in three in two three years doing this show. <laughs> I, I think that's useful, that, that, yeah. that warm-up all, all routine. All
1: these warm-up techniques we see. And yeah. This old, old vet is just like, nah, man, I'm going the Contra. But uh, that was good. Last one. Golden State Warriors haven't won a road game since January thirty. Pro useful, useless.
2: Oh, that's pretty fucking useful, man. Their 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 road records ridiculous. What is it like seven and twenty eight or something like that? Like it's pretty bad.
1: I'm not sure to right say right now. I say yeah. Look, but.
2: I say useful for sure.
1: Very useful. They've been awful on the road and generally a bit a really good road team. Generally, historically, seven and twenty nine on the road, pro twenty nine and seven at home. So Oof. usually they, they 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 show up. At, they at least showed up historically for the big games. You know, like this Memphis game leading up with Draymond's comments. I thought they're gonna win this game because this is kind of when they lift up. But your generic road game in Orlando or like Charlotte, they're ones they would like historically lose because they're just like uh we're sleepwalking through this shit. But they there are some concerns, and they're not gonna have home court throughout the playoffs it's looking like. So some alarm bells there, pro. Anyway, what do you have for this this week in fact or fake news?
2: Folks, I got one. Um, we, I think we talked about, I don't know if we talked about it last week at all, but the NBA's going to think about, um, you know, we're talking about with the CBA and, and trying to attach, you know, attach, you know, uh, um, big season awards to percentage of games played. Do you think that they will, so the NBA will force, not force, but will put into rule that you have to play 80% or more in NBA uh, games to get postseason awards, fact or fake news? Fact, they're going to they have to
1: do something. Fact, they're, yeah. they're going to have to, they, they're they going to do something because they can hear the noise. I don't think it helps their ticket sales. I don't think it helps the corporate. I think people will be like, well, I'm sponsoring the team. Is LeBron going to play in every game or Kevin Durant or this or that? Or are you guys going to? What's going on? Oh, I've got the front of your jersey, but is Steph going to be wearing it nightly or is his backup going to be playing 30-odd games, right, as a yeah. starter? So I think there's some, some reason, a good reason for the NBA to do it. And I think it's going to, whether it happens this offseason or next, it's going to be fact um, at some point in the next couple of years.
2: I'll, tell, I'll, I'll say it's fact too. I'll tell you what, that's one thing, one story that's really like, I mean, that's really like spread like wildfire. You know, and now you got players, like, speaking out against it and speaking out with it, you know, as far as, like, you know, the, the common worker has to show up and we just play basketball. You start seeing some whispers. I think that that's definitely going to be some – I just – I wonder what the numbers are going to be. What are they going to, like, percentage-wise of games, what are they going to make you play? That's the thing, you know. Uh, well, that'll think, be interesting. Well,
1: historically it was – most bonuses 70. are linked to well, 65 most bonuses like my well, defensive player yeah. yeah my defensive all defensive team bonus i had in my contract which i got one year all second i got all second team uh to play 65 and i remember there was like six or seven games left and i had to get three or four and i was like hey, you motherfuckers better not do me because it was a pretty big bonus I think it was like a million dollars right so i'm like i'm playing like and, the, and then warriors were really good about it they were like look even if we want to rest you, the last game we'll put you in for a minute and take you out, which is really respectable. Some teams, we know that the Boston Celtics. I think they fucked over Isaiah Thomas, didn't they? One year <laughs> he had a big bonus and they benched him. I think uh, for games played. Um, but yeah, I think it's fact. It's got it has to happen. We've spoken about it. The league's usually pretty good at reading the room, and I think they'll they'll slide this in the CBA somehow.
2: Yeah, I think I think so too. I think too many people are talking about it. It's it's a really hot button topic, and I think that they they'll they they gotta respond to it. They can't be soft with it. They got. I mean, not only you know media's talking about it, fans are talking about it. I I think they're gonna have to definitely do something. My my question just again be the number uh, of games played, like you know, and and how far are they gonna go to make people happy on this? And yeah, it's it'll be an interesting interesting deal, but I say it's fact as well.
1: Agree. All right, that wraps up another episode. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. A reminder, I'll be doing an in-depth pod about the NBA one women's stuff later on in the week with a special guest. Hopefully, we're going to have an open, topical discussion and come to the table with some solutions. And check out at Hoop Consultants for Everything Pro and at Rogue Bogues for your podcast needs. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.
2: See you guys next week. Thank you. Okay. Let's get Rogue.